Welcome back to another episode of the Levity Floatcast. And happy belated holidays to you and yours. Uh, took a breather over the holidays myself and uh, made a conscious decision to put down my cell phone more and spent a lot of the time being present with my family. Absolutely felt amazing and hope that you all enjoyed some moments of just clarity and peace over the last couple of weeks and months. Um, I know the holidays are pretty pretty stressful for folks and like I said, uh, I hope you had a good one. And it's also one of the busiest times of the year for us at the studio. Between the stressors of the holiday season, lack of sunshine, our float tanks are filled with people looking for stress relief and balance. If that may sound like you, I suggest you hop over to schedule and escape the real world for 60 or 90 minutes. That said, I am super excited to share this episode with you. I chat with Chelsea Cush, a licensed funeral director, embalmer, and faculty member at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Sciences. I'm super grateful for meeting Chelsea. She's invited me into her classroom to talk about creating and owning a small business and managing all the risks involved in such a venture. It's always a pleasure to be in a room with other entrepreneurs fielding real-world questions and to just see those people that are early on their process of owning their own business. But knowing very little about the death care industry, I very much enjoyed this conversation with Chelsea. She's one of those good souls who able to explain concepts and ideas in a very understandable manner. She's seen firsthand the transformative power of the funeral process and is dedicating to helping families find meaning and closure during their time of grief. This is a fantastic episode. Some may find the talk about the death care industry a little taboo, but Chelsea really opened my eyes to the level of care and dedication that goes into this role. We talked about why someone may want to become a funeral director and the importance of that role. Chelsea also shared some very interesting green burial methods and a project that gives her great pride. On a macro level, this episode is another example of someone who explored various career paths before finding what spoke most to her soul. The next episode is with another one of these gems, Marta Manzoni. Her episode has entered the production line and looking forward to sharing that beautiful soul with you too. But right now, it's time to enjoy a wonderful conversation with Chelsea Cush. So let's sit back, relax, and floatcast. I wanna relax, relax, put my mind at ease. Good friends and good vibes, now that's all I need. When life hurts, come down and float at levity. Let your problems wash away into serenity. Whoa. The one I always share is, I would love it if Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. That's a really good one, too. <laughs> I, uh, mm, I just saw, I think what really like started with him was, have you ever watched the interview with Oprah? Oh, my God. It was from when like Michael Jackson was Michael Jackson. Oprah's not nearly to where the height she is now during that time, but she was trying to talk with him, and he just kept vibing. Like, he started down this track of this song, and he just kept singing, and she's like, he's not listening to me at all. And she was like, is everything, oh, I would love it just to see if it's really brilliance or madness. Probably both. 
Yeah. I think it's those special type of people that really captivate us. And I think he would be one. The second one, uh, second silly question I had is, do you have any irrational fears? Um, I don't think so. I think, and maybe this is something that all like newer directors kind of struggle with. But when I was in Michigan, when I had first moved there, I thought a lot about like, what if I die up here and my family's all in Pennsylvania? Let's start things off on a super dark note here. But, <laughs> We're um, going in. <laughs> that was something I struggled with for a little while. Just I think maybe it was just because I was there. I didn't really know anybody. It was just something that I I was there by myself and being new into death care and just seeing mm. and being exposed to more dead people than obviously I ever had in my life before. Yeah. I think it was just something that kind of lived in my subconscious for a while, but it's not something that I struggle with now, especially now that I'm back home. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, that really buries mine. Jamin, can you go? I want to see maybe hopefully you have a little more shallow one, the one way mine is. My heart was just, heartstrings just got tugged on. Irrational fears. Uh, I wouldn't call it a fear, but I really hate pigeons. (laughs) I can't be around. Like, it's not something I'd run away from, I wouldn't want anything that can fly that's big. You yeah. can't be near me. Yeah. Pigeons. Yeah, just they can't be around. Is this well, all birds or? <laughs> all birds or just pigeons? Pigeons for sure. Okay. Why? What is it? Because I would see them as being the friendly cousin of the bird family. They walk around the sidewalks. People give them seed. They have no fear. Like they walk up to you the same way like a rat would. Like, all right that's true valid all valid buddy i was all right well i don't feel nearly as bad now mine's the oven like leaving it on or just the whole experience of turning a box that's made of metal hooked with gas up to about 450 degrees to just make a pizza Look at your oven. Eye your oven up next time and see, like, you're 450 degrees right now within your kitchen. It's not natural. There's a lot of stuff that's off. I mean, that's why I'm happy I don't, I don't work in a lab anymore. Like, there's too much stuff I got. Like, when I really stopped and thought about what I was doing, I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, interesting. When Jamin, Jamin and I had a conversation one time, and in his old lab, they actually created it and built it with a blowout wall oh yeah yeah that blew my mind yeah like these high pressure like reactors we made plastic oh my gosh yeah so like the wall that they had that faced the riverside what they called a blowout wall it was significantly weaker than the rest of the room so if you had an explosion it was going out that way wow oh my gosh the things you don't think about (laughs) being in your own little industry bubble they never had an explosion Oh, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, I just think they had to run the probability on that of like, well, it's wow. bound to happen. We're going to blow it up at some point. We might as well just <laughs> do it right. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure this wall goes do out. Right. It's it's into the parking lot. We don't have any concerns. Wow. Yeah, that I, I don't know. I always like having those with people. I think we go throughout life and we have these little nuances to our daily. And it's always good to hear that, yeah. you know, someone's afraid of pigeons yeah i've known you for two years <laughs> my man All i right. asked my students recently about that because uh, we i took them to the aviary for a field trip 
And I asked them about the giant eagle that escaped from the aviary. So mm-hmm. I just wonder if like you saw that on your car. What would you- <laughs> <laughs> I seen like, okay, so my parents' backyard, there was a hawk one day. Like I wasn't scared. It's just pigeons. It just, it's too pigeons. comfortable. It's too comfortable not being wild. Like they want to run up to you. They need to. Aviary is fine. Like I would never have a panic attack or something. Totally just bring back bullying pigeons. <laughs> I think it, it might have started like as a cartoon. Do you remember? Like there would be cartoon <laughs> pigeons and they'd be really lippy and stuff. Do you think that transferred to like you as an adult? I don't even know when I stopped. I don't even know when I realized I didn't like this. Mm. <laughs> Boy, every uh, every day, every day it's something new with you. I'm, I'm, I'm loving you're here for the ride, pal. <laughs> That said, Chelsea Cush, I am so happy to sit down with you. I find you to be super interesting. I'm sorry, are you good with with audio? Super interesting, not only your story, but what you do. And I'm really anxious to sit and talk with you and kind of unpack that. I am flattered that you even thought I was interesting (laughs) enough to be here, so. Right on. I think I've had the privilege of talking with your class a few times, Mm -hmm. risk management class, and we've had, you know, really good conversations before Mm -hmm. and after. Before we dive into your story, you just experienced your first float. Yeah. How was it for you coming in? What did you have in your head? Any expectations? How'd it go? So I had a pretty good idea of what to expect just because I obviously like you speak about it when you come and talk to my class. So I kind of had a pretty good idea of what to expect. It's it was a little weird for me to hear the sounds of my own body as mm-hmm. opposed to nothing else because mm-hmm. you're in there you can hear your heartbeat yeah. you like move your finger and you hear the water like splash a little bit so yeah. that was something to get used to it was a really good experience i my body feels great yeah you kind of feel or i shouldn't say you i kind of felt like i was like gonna be like spinning around in a circle <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not the case so mm-hmm. that's uh, <laughs> that was a factor i guess yeah <laughs> and like I was, I was telling you before I have a really hard time keeping my eyes closed for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So the darkness was kind of nice. I didn't have to like be forced or like pressured to keep my eyes closed the whole time. So that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's so interesting when we talk with people, the things that they share afterwards, mm-hmm. like every experience is generally unique to you and what's going on in your life. And whether it's the madness upstairs that we all deal with, or the monkey mind <laughs> or you know, physically. I remember as we were walking through, you said that like you had just recently had a massage and you were tight and had a lot, just needed a massage. How do you feel physically? I feel very relaxed right now. It was after the first like five, 10 minutes, I feel like the hour flew by and it was easy to kind of relax into things once you find a position that works for you yeah it took me a minute to figure out what to do with my arms <laughs> did you what what did you settle in with they're behind my head so. yeah that's that's a good one it's there's been folks that come out they'll share like the different positions with one arm up and one arm down and it's always like whatever works for you whatever yeah. feels good yeah it was great i know you have so much going on as a faculty member at the pittsburgh institute of mortuary science you're just spinning a lot of plates so i was really happy to get you in and have you experience a float and even tonight as you get home you'll have an amazing night of sleep yeah Um, i'm excited yeah it's excited for sleep is what we see from a lot of folks it's 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 a good thing but 
as I shared, faculty member of, at the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science, but that isn't where your story started. Yeah. <laughs> Take us back to pre-mortuary science and how you got to where you are. Sure. So funeral directing was not on my radar for, like, this is not something that I, like, wanted to do when I was a kid or, or anything like that. I, I went to Point Park University and I got my bachelor's in biology. Once I was done with that, I still didn't really feel called to anything. Mm. I was working in marketing and events planning for a Pittsburgh-based company called The Dog Stop, mm. which was fun. I, I liked working with the dogs. I enjoyed it, but it was not my calling. <laughs> Understood. And so I went to grad school just because I didn't really know what else to do. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went and got my master's in environmental science. And while I was there, we had talked about the different like green burial methods. And I kind of did some research and discovered that funeral directing is not, it wasn't the idea that I had in my head where it's kind of like everybody gets this cookie cutter service, everybody's at church, you know, you have a priest do the service. And I kind of was learning that, hey, it's it's not that. And I think this might be the thing for me. So I went and I toured the school uh, with my dad, who... <laughs> Absolutely. Sidebar, love your dad. Same. <laughs> like literally the energy that guy has around him is amazing. Yeah. He's a great dude. He he is. He's fantastic. So he he went with me to tour the school. I loved it. I signed up that day for classes. It went, I graduated top of my class. Mm. I absolutely fell in love with all of it. And I, I had some I'm I'm very grateful and I feel very blessed to have had the mentors that I've had and the bosses that I've had mm. uh, in the industry. One of my mentors, who is now my boss, had kind of suggested that I check out this funeral home that was about 40 minutes south of Detroit. So I did, loved it there, moved there within, I think, a month of going up there to see it. Wow. Yeah. That's fast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everything happened really fast after I graduated. (laughs) Yeah. So it was it was good. I, I mean, I was there for about five years. I'm still technically employed there. <laughs> um, How does that work? <laughs> so for a while, when I I saw that the school was hiring, so I sent my resume, and I was commuting actually every week back and forth from Detroit because I was I went part time at the funeral home, which I'm I'm very grateful to my boss there for even letting me do because that's not really a common thing. Right. And I had two classes when I had started at PIMS, wow. which was last summer. And now I'm up to quite a few more than that. You do have quite a few <laughs> yeah. more than that. I, I want to double back. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of things, the different burial methods that initially mm-hmm. got you excited mm-hmm. in the industry. Can you talk mm-hmm. about those? I feel like that's something that not a lot of people have knowledge on and yeah. are interested in. Yeah. So I, I was really into the concept of green burial. I, I've, I've been a vegetarian slash vegan somewhere in between for 18 or so years. So, and I've, I spend a lot of time in the gym. I spend a lot of time trying to be kind to my body. Mm. So it really stuck with me that I could continue that after death and not have all those chemicals put in my body. So that was the original thought that kind of led me down the, the path to do more investigating. Mm. And then there's also like the water cremation or alkaline hydrolysis. I was very interested in that as well. What does that entail? So it it uses water and a level of alkalinity to do a more green friendly cremation. 
It's not very common, especially here. It's it's more common out west. Yeah. But I, I was intrigued by that concept. There's human composting now, which yeah. again, not not really a thing here, but out west, it's I don't want to say it's common, but it's understood. It's, it's a thing. So. Yeah. I, yeah, it's so fascinating. I think these are options that people just aren't aren't aware of. Yeah. That don't have knowledge on the water mm-hmm. sounds amazing. Yeah. The compost being part of the earth, being returned from which we came. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really cool things there that if if someone wouldn't share them and mm-hmm. wouldn't talk about them, there's no way y- yeah. you would know. It's would- such a taboo industry, I think. Very. So you don't get I think all the information that you should, whether you want a traditional service or not, I don't think it's common to have that information in front of you. So, uh, It's funny you say that and the tabooness of the industry. I have a couple people I'm close with who work with finances and the one thing that either one of them won't touch is life insurance <laughs> because of having the conversation with somebody. And I find it so bizarre because we all know we're all going to pass on Mm -hmm. into whatever's behind that door. Mm -hmm. Not sure, but like that we, that it's difficult for us to talk about. Yeah. It's a cultural thing. I think, I think we're a very death fearing and death denying culture and society. Mm. So I, I don't think the information is as readily available as it should be. I don't think people know what to do when a family member passes as far as who do you call what do you do with life insurance i think there's a lot of questions that surround death so. absolutely 100 percent agree and I, I think it's tough as as someone with parents that are both still living in their 70s and just the importance of having a will mm-hmm. of having your last wishes kind of on paper to be understood that this is what you wanted so nobody's left in the difficult position of what did this person want? Mm-hmm. What were their wishes? What did they want that day to look like for them? It's such a huge life event that a lot of people don't spend time to like put things down and share with their loved ones. And it creates turmoil. Absolutely. On yeah. the back end. And I don't think people know of, uh, that was kind of another thing that intrigued me when I first started looking into this career was not everything has to be religion based. You know, you don't have to call a, a priest. I was very into that concept and kind of making things more personal. Mm. So I I liked kind of going down that road of doing what's called a celebrant service instead of making it just religion-based. Like, how can we make this more based on who your person was and what they did in the world? Understood. (laughs) I I also had a a second callback on that. Mentor and bosses. I, I find that the people we sit down and talk with, large majority have somebody, handful of folks, can you shout them out and talk about the importance that they meant to you as a professional in your journey? Absolutely, yeah. So when I was in school, our current program director, Dr. Lease, he's going to be so mad if he hears the Kurt Cobain thing from earlier because he hates Nirvana. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but <laughs> he gave me a lot of direction and a lot of push to kind of say, you know, you you can do this. You don't have to do this here in Pittsburgh. He still gives me a lot of direction in in my career and very grateful to him for that. Our current Dean, Michael Burns, he's amazing, fantastic. I'm so grateful to be able to work with these people. My first boss in Pittsburgh, Rob Karish, he owns two funeral homes now here Mm. locally. Um, Amazing. One of the kindest men that I've ever met. 
in my life. I'm forever grateful for for all of them. Dan Dwyer in Michigan, Mm. he owns the funeral home that I worked at there. Mm. He definitely gave me a lot of leash to be able to explore Mm. teaching. So I'm very, very grateful to all of them. I think it's always fascinating because the one that's mentioned first is generally somebody outside your immediate circle of influence that tells you you can do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't have anybody in the funeral business. This was kind of a weird calling for me. Yeah. Even when I was, you know, applying to school and like when I started, I I thought a million times, what am I doing? Like, I don't, what? How did I end up here? Like, yeah. So, it was really nice to have somebody who had accomplished so much in the industry telling me that I could do it too. So. That validation, and, and I think it's so important that people hear it as they're listening how little it takes to be able to move somebody from a place believing that it's just a possibility to taking the first step from Mm -hmm. zero to one Mm -hmm. is the largest step you'll make and to have somebody there cheering you along that has some validity and gumption to their name and something to stand on that says like you can do this so powerful so if you're listening to this and you're in a position that to be able to encourage somebody you don't have to have a formal something or other but just to encourage somebody whether it be lending someone your ear for a little bit of time to be a soundboard or to verbally tell them like you can do this this can be your reality too i think it's fascinating and all those people that you mentioned the, the most important role that we could ever have is being a mentor to somebody in mm-hmm. a positive way. I, the burials are really interesting and in that that's what kind of keyed you up and put the light bulb on. But mm-hmm. is there a moment or an instance where you really turn the corner past interest to let's get this party started? Let What do we have to do to get me there? And now I'm enrolling. Yeah. So I, I think that moment for me, I, I kind of have two of those moments, I guess, because I think when you're when you're in school, at least for me, I it was a year long program that year flies by. Mm. You are trying to find your internship. I was coordinating a move states away and I, I don't think I had time to really process passion versus I really like this. When I was in Detroit, I kind of accidentally <laughs> got put in charge of this program that we had there with a local hospital where we would take care of fetal and baby cases at no charge. That was really the moment for me where I was like, okay, I really, yeah, anybody can do this, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I think I can really make a difference for people. It sounds like there's a moment in there where you were able to process and say that like, I can, I am capable of this. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that? Yeah. So I... I remember the first time that I brought a baby into our care at the funeral home. I remember I felt very uncomfortable and I felt like, what do I say to this woman? You know, then she wrote me a letter like a couple weeks later. And I remember in the letter, she said, you were the last person to touch my daughter. And I was so comfortable with that. And that like that sticks with me (laughs) like nothing else in this industry and beyond i can just feel like yeah that's amazing Mm -hmm. a a higher compliment couldn't have been paid no no Mm -mm. Uh, and And i was never expecting any of that i mean i (laughs) 
in a situation and trying to put myself in those shoes and to be able to notice that level of care and that be the reply and being good with it and found a level of peace like mm-hmm. home run yeah home run yeah i knew i was in the right place at, at that point the hardest thing you know what i mean mm-hmm. and for you to be able to guide that family through mm-hmm. that process mm-hmm. and to come out on the other end of that in a favorable way mm-hmm. yeah it, that's that was life-changing for me like i said that really put things into perspective i don't i don't want to say it was like a, a good thing by any means but i i really knew i was in the right mm. place exactly where i was supposed to be at that moment so isn't it so wild from how far those moments are to where you would have been 18 to 24 months before doing a previous role? Oh, absolutely. I thought when I was in school that I just wanted to embalm. I didn't think I really wanted to be involved with the families at all. And I still like embalming, but I, I much prefer making arrangements. You enjoy the people, mm-hmm. the aspect side, the relationship side of that mm-hmm. position. Yeah. That's very interesting because mm-hmm. I can imagine that's an ext- I, I can empathize and understand wanting to do the embalming mm-hmm. because in my head with a background in counseling, uh, I can imagine that there are times when that's extremely tough to, and the word isn't, the, the words I use aren't going to make it seem like as a relief. It's part of the role, but to wash those emotions off and to, unburden yourself sure with yeah. those because as you're dealing with the with a family a community that has lost somebody you're really dealing with a tribe that have lost somebody that are in mourning mm-hmm. and for you to have the bravery to step forward and say like i can help them with this mm-hmm. i think it's fabulous mm-hmm. i knew i wasn't wrong having you on here <laughs> that said as somebody new to the mortuary science arena, as you said, it's not like uh, my uncle had this and mm-hmm. kind of going into a family business. What was it like telling the people in your life that I'm going to go from this to this is what I'm doing here? I don't think, I think my parents honestly just thought, okay, she's just being the professional student that she is. She just, uh, She's just racking up more more student loan debt. <laughs> so. Oh, here we go again. She wants another piece of paper. Yeah. All right. All right, She's Chelsea, where do I sign? They're like, she just doesn't want to work. <laughs> Girl likes classes. Yeah. She likes meetings and classes. So I think that was there. And I don't think my parents, like, when I told my mom I was moving to Detroit, she was like, yeah, okay. Like, no, you're absolutely not. Like, no, I, I actually am. Um, <laughs> everybody else, I think, I feel like they probably just thought like, oh, this is a weird phase, but she'll get over it. So that's kind of the vibe that I got. I can understand that. Yeah. You can empathize. <laughs> this is something she's trying out. Yeah. She's going to last a little bit. And she'll come home. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, can you talk, because I think a lot of people sit in jobs that they hate, mm-hmm. relationships they're frustrated in, and mm-hmm. things in their life, and they never really, the term I like to use is get through their keyhole. Mm-hmm. What was it like driving to Detroit for the first time? Because mm-hmm. I like to stack up circumstantial frustrations and then talk about how the person got through them. I think it provides a roadmap for the art listeners. Yeah. It was the first time that I went there. It was surreal. I like I sat down to interview with 
with Dan, who was my boss at the funeral home. And there was a time where I, I vividly remember sitting at, in his conference room and thinking like, what am I doing? Am I actually going to follow through with this and move to Detroit by myself? <laughs> and I I think it's, it's funny because when I was actually moving, it felt like every little thing that could go wrong went wrong. Like I cracked my TV when I was moving. I'm like, I don't know anybody here. So what am I going to do other than go Oof. to the gym? <laughs> like, my TV cracked. <laughs> oh, that's tough. New city. Yeah. I, you know, my GPS stopped working. I, it was just like all these little things, which like first world problems, like, okay, your TV broke, who cares? Right. I but it. <laughs> it, it just felt like there were so many points where I was like, what am I actually doing? Like, <laughs> Is the universe trying to tell me to stop? Yes. Like I'm literally, things are happening yes. that I cannot deny that somebody's trying to stop this. Yep. <laughs> I really find that those are the inconveniences of circumstance that stop people that don't deserve it. Uh, yeah, that's, I honestly never thought about it that way until right now. That's a really... Uh refreshing perspective <laughs> yeah of course when your tv cracks and you're in a new, when you're in detroit right you're not talking right. like oh i'm i'm in a walkable like detroit so i can absolutely empathize and i'm glad you got through it because like i said there's so many people that i'm sure even you know throughout your day to day that you bump into somebody and they have something that's just running underneath there there's a great poem by chomsky called the blue bird and I'll have to send you a link to it. I'll yeah. link it in, in the description stuff. But it talks about the blue bird that we all hide within us. And that you can let it out and be who you want to be. And no one really cares. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to have people that you bump into that say you can do it and encourage you and get you through crack TVs <laughs> and the craziness <laughs> of the world, that like you deserve it. And that's what you should have. I um, love that. So being naive about the industry... I looking as a licensed funeral director and embalmer then mm -hmm. that's in addition to like the your position at PIMS. but can you talk about the responsibilities of an embalmer like what does that look like what does their yeah. day look like so generally you're you're kind of a funeral director and that's your umbrella so embalming is kind of part of not in most cases embalming is kind of part of your day-to-day -day as a funeral director you're not really embalming all day long Understood. with that being said my boss that owns the two funeral homes here he's a trade embalmer so a lot of his day is embalming so it kind of varies case by case but your main goals with embalming really are to get that body preserved make sure that the public is safe you know when you're getting ready to present a body for a viewing or a visitation and to make that person look like the person that their family knows them to be. I had to take a quick note there mm -hmm. because when I shared with one of our, well, one of our regulars, our members who was on the next episode, he was so psyched. He's a science guy. <laughs> Nick Holnader came in and I was telling him and he said, can you ask her about the science <laughs> sure. of embalming? And I was like, well, buddy, I, I'll do my best. So there you are, Nick. I love you. <laughs> so, yeah. So we actually have a whole chemistry course in the curriculum that goes into how to choose the proper fluid. And every case, the first thing that you do is a case analysis. You want to look at the different pathologies, anything that you see, their body type, 
any factors and every case is different. So, and then you kind of select your chemicals that you're going to use based on that. Hmm. So is it almost like a style that you, is, is there a bit of an art to it with, oh, with like a base? Yeah. yeah. Everybody, I think all, every embalmer has their preferences, whether it's, I like to use this artery. I like these chemicals. Hmm. Um, you know, I like to put the right hand over the left hand when I do uh, you know, visit, whatever. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their preferences, but it, it does. It's a huge factor as far as case analysis goes. So, case analysis. That's that's ju- that's body type. That's composition. Mm-hmm. That's it, chemicals within the body. Pri- oh, yeah. Understood. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot of variables there. Oh yeah. And yeah. then then you compound it with some artistic vision almost Mm -hmm. of just preference of how they like to work Mm -hmm. it's it sounds like a very interesting avenue i mean like i said i don't think a lot of people are actually aware of the ins and outs and the possibilities and the Mm day-to-day if you say something like embalming to somebody they automatically Mm -hmm. refer to like whatever their misconceived idea may be i mean i think it'd be very rare if someone would have their arms around that concept so that's a red flag, I think, for the most part, if they do. <laughs> uh, I think the other thing that d- just does not help this industry at all is the media as far as like what you see on TV, Netflix, TikTok, social media. How so? How so? I just think it's such a warped, distorted view of what this industry actually is. It's either you see like, you know, an 80-year-old man in a suit that has no ounce of compassion whatsoever and it's very cold Mm. and if that is your funeral experience i feel very bad and very sorry about that because that's not a Mm. good experience or it's this like super morbid bloody like oh i got to do this like cool weird thing with a body like that's not what it is either yeah so i i feel that it just compounds the issue of, of it being so taboo you know yeah it's really interesting you said about the experience because after the last time I talked to your class, a couple of your students signed up and they came in. And it was really cool to talk with the one girl. She had, I asked her, like, how do you get here? It's, it's, it's an, what I would consider an alternative career path. Absolutely. Very rarely would you have asked a young, you know, five, six-year-old, what do you want to be? And they're like, I, you know, my thoughts are funeral director. It's just not. And this young, this young woman said to me, she said, I had a horrible experience one time with a loved one. And I thought to myself, I'll never let that happen to somebody else. And I thought those are the moments that mm-hmm. you find your calling. And so it is real important. You're right to the pushback on that cold taboo. And I think we could dive down the rabbit hole of the media, <laughs> but I think that's a, with a lot of things. So it's really important people hear just the personability and, you know, the human aspect of mm-hmm. it. it. It's super important. Mm-hmm. Licensed funeral director. Mm-hmm. Responsibilities. What is that? So it kind of depends on the funeral home that you are working at, but you're responsible for making the arrangements, following through with the arrangements. It's really a whole lot of event planning. Yeah. Right on. You're good. I was just watching the ways. (laughs) It's really event planning. You're coordinating with churches, coordinating with your staff, coordinating hearses, coordinating all these things. Mm. Then it's also 
are the bathrooms clean? Do you have somebody that passed away at a home that you need to bring into your care? You have to answer the phones overnight. You have to make sure you're bringing people into your care overnight. It really is a demanding job. It requires a lot of sacrifice in terms of your personal schedule. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. I'm. You're at the beck and call 24-7. And yeah. it's one of those things that uh, when you find your calling in that area, you can't really shut it off anyway. Right. Yeah, I definitely think we've seen a lot of um, people recently that I think if, when people say you're in this to, oh, I, I just want to be with the dead people, like you are not in it for the right reasons. <laughs> that scares me <laughs> to hear that. That leads us into our next question of favorable <laughs> and unfavorable characteristics. So that would be an unfavorable one. Very. <laughs> I think what you need to be successful in this industry is Number one, you have to have a passion for it. Yeah. This is not a field that you go into for the money. Uh, it's not, it, it's a tough job. It asks a lot of you. You have to sacrifice time with your family and your schedule and your mm -hmm. friends to be able to be successful. You want somebody who is empathetic and who can sympathize with a family. I think those are really, I think when your heart's in it, you'll be successful. I think it's like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think mainly in like many things that are taboo in society, I, I feel like the more education people can have on an, on an industry like that, because framed as a very tactful event planner and understanding, empathizing with what this family and what these people are going through and mm -hmm. how to help them transition. I, I think it's, you're definitely shining a really good light on the industry and taking away that, that, cloud of tabooness of yeah. it because like you said coming into this conversation that was my experience with yeah. what i see on tv or netflix and and that's all i know until i have the ability to sit down until people can hear this and go that's right when you know so and so passed i do remember how much care and and genuine love because i feel like if you don't hit that genuine level and if you're not genuine you do more damage than good oh 100 percent. and i think if you're when you're not genuine it comes off and people see that if you are in it for the money if you are you know in it just because it's your family business whatever the reason yeah. it's not the right reason i think it's very obvious very quickly to people it's so detrimental i can yeah that said now as a faculty member i i find it fascinating when people find their passion and then can inject it into the next class the next wave of people and i'm not, I'm not speaking of age i'm speaking of like these people are interested so what are your thoughts on the teaching process in this area from connecting to students and even even helping folks through the whole process of enrolling, staying on track, getting things done? Because real quick, mm -hmm. that was paperwork and stuff are something that can trip people up or if they don't have someone to just help guide them along and keep them on track, what's it like for you? So I will say we have it's a pretty small school so it, it's not i don't want to say it's easy to keep the students on track but you know everyone you're on a very much a first and last name basis with all of the students online yeah. on campus you have an idea of where they're at in their progression so it, it's very nice and it's a 
an advantage for me to more easily keep up with that. With that being said, I, I love teaching. I really, I love it. I mean, I, I loved being a funeral director and obviously I still am, I'm still licensed, but I, I love teaching. I love interacting with the students. It is so rewarding for me personally to be able to show them like, Hey, you can do this. You, it doesn't matter that you don't have family in the business. doesn't matter that you've never seen a dead body before today. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You can yeah. do this. We are, our student population is about, so it's usually at about 70% female. Yeah. So it's nice to walk the walk and, and really be in front of them to say like, you can do this. Don't let anyone tell you that you, you can't. Mm. A lot of common themes, mm -hmm. you know, when uh, trailblazers, mavericks, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, a little bit of gusto of like a little bit of pushback of mm -hmm. like you can. Mm -hmm. And as an example, I'm sure that's very empowering. Yeah, that, that's an awesome teaching is one of the most sacred things that you can you can take on and to help people reach their vision and dream. Like, again, no greater gift than to be able to help someone realize that. What advice would you share? with people interested in joining the mortuary sciences? So uh, in terms of if it's someone that's looking to go to school, I would say prepare to say goodbye to your friends for a year or two. <laughs> what is the curriculum like there? Because uh, a year is fast. That's it's a demanding. lot of content. It, it is. I mean, it's very, you have kind of science side and you have a business side. Mm. And you you take a national exam at the end. You have to pass it to get your license. Yeah. There's a national science and a national arts exam. So mm. they're it's 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 a tough program yeah with some pretty high standards to meet to get your license then you have to take your state exam so you take a state exam for every state that you're licensed in mm. so it's it can be intense on top of that you're embalming you have to meet a certain case requirement to get you know to, to graduate and finish the program mm. you have to do what's called a practicum which is kind of like a mini internship yeah then once you're done with that then you start your actual internship work to get your license from there yeah so it's it can be pretty demanding so <laughs> to anyone applying to the program i would say definitely be prepared to dedicate your life to that <laughs> for the next year or two years depending on your your program right on yeah, when I heard a year, that's that's a lot. That's intense because oh, yeah. the standard is high, and with exams afterwards, and then state by state, say goodbye to your friends, yeah. and be okay <laughs> with a lot of long nights. And I would say for anybody who's done with school and going into actually work at a funeral home, the best advice that I can give is to keep your thank you cards because families will mm. send them and you'll have bad days. You'll have a lot of bad days. You'll have days where you are stopping yourself from crying while the family's crying. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Reading those, I think sometimes you lose sight of why you started doing this and that takes you right back. <laughs> wow, that's a great answer. So. We have three questions from Jamie. When we do our pre-production meeting and talk about who's coming in, he comes up. I didn't want to start opening yeah. my phone here, uh, <laughs> looking like I'm checking the scores <laughs> on tonight's game. But I want to pull up his questions, really. And uh, there were three. What benefits or why would someone want to become a funeral director? I would say if you if this is not something that you're 
passionate about and that you feel called to, it's probably not the job for you because it's Fair. not, if you don't love it, there's not a whole lot of benefits to it. It's crazy schedule. It's very demanding. It's emotionally demanding. Mm. So I, yeah. <laughs> it, it certainly sounds like one of the calling professions. Like yeah. we're fortunate enough. We host a lot of first responders here, whether it be police officers, firefighters, and kind, kind of the same thing. Like mm -hmm. if this ain't for you, you're going to know real quick yeah. and you should best just get out. Yeah. Like love you. <laughs> And right. no, no judgment, but I couldn't work at a mechanic shop. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but very interesting. <laughs> Why would you say funeral directors are important? I think, oh, that's, I think funeral directors need to do their part to stay important. I think it's important to keep that emotional aspect mm. because without that, anybody can, anybody can embalm. It's yeah. a science and you have to pass the classes, but without the ability to make a family feel like they're getting their money's worth and they're doing what's right for their loved one, yeah. I I don't know that there's much of a need for this career other than to, to preserve and bury, you know? Yeah, that personal touch is, I mean, what makes the difference? He has a third question and then I'll have a final question for you. Um, what's the most interesting fact about funeral directors? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Oh, about funeral directors or about death care, I guess. Death I don't care. know. Let's, I, what's your call? Okay, so this is not really, this is death related, not really funeral director related. I don't want to like, embalming is not like as like sexy as people think it is. Like the bodies mm. don't sit up, they don't make noises, <laughs> they don't breathe. Like it's not like... A, Listen, this man is not going to sleep tonight. You heard he's afraid of pigeons earlier. But my favorite fact that I've stumbled onto so far is that a lot of bodies in Lake Superior, because it's so cold, they stay at the bottom. They don't float up. So there's a lot of bodies that could stay there indefinitely. <laughs> so, the Levity Flow cast will be doing a road trip in the next couple of weeks to validate this. Um, dive. <laughs> yeah, we're going for a deep dive. Check things out down there. Oh my word. That, what a gem. Those are, those are those interesting facts though, that if we wouldn't, we would have never known. But now we know Lake Superior is loaded. Last question before we wrap up. Yeah. I think it's an important one. I think it's uh, something that, uh, you know, it's good to reflect on. Mm -hmm. uh, in your career of death care, whether it be uh, a teachable moment that you had with somebody or when you were you know, being mentored coming up or working with a family, if you could think back and name one thing or event that fills you with pride the most, what would it be? Hmm. I think I, I kind of have a two-part answer for this one. Yeah. So in terms of being a funeral director and an embalmer, working to build that program for the infant and fetal care up. I have a lot of pride in that. I think it was something that maybe a lot of people didn't want to touch for a long time. And it's kind of a, a bummer of a subject, but I think I did a lot of good work mm. there and I'm proud of the work that I did there. As far as teaching, I'm, I'm proud of just being here and, and having that um, platform to work with the students and just be in front of them and tell them that, you know, you can do this. Yeah. Um, I don't think that 
commonly what you see as somebody that's maybe teaching in a college. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very, very proud of where I am and everything that I've accomplished and, and just being where I am in my career. So I hope that is awesome. A sufficient answer. No, yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was such a pleasure to, to be able to sit down and chat with you. I think our, not only our audience, but you know, the people that will listen to this in months, like, you're an inspiration. Thank You're you. such an inspiration. Thank and you. to be able to see somebody that had the bravery to make a decision and then go from zero to one, not only <laughs> in profession, but I'm going to pick up and move from Pittsburgh, PA to Detroit. <laughs> I'm just going to see how it goes. <laughs> I, I think it's that level of bravery and story that people listening to this need to hear so they can then say, Chelsea did it. I can too. You absolutely can do it. Anybody can do it. Just like exactly like you said, take the first step and mm. the rest will kind of flow. <laughs> it was such a pleasure having you on. We'll, we'll uh, link social up and yeah. stuff, but this was an absolute pleasure. So I really I'm appreciate you coming on. Honored to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. We'll see you guys. If you are stressed right now and listening and have a lot of things going on, spinning a lot of plates, and you want an escape for an hour, schedule a float, a 60, 90-minute float at scheduleyourflow.com. Get yourself right. Hit that reset button and dive back into life. Lots of love to you all.